Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Matthew 13, verse number 1. The Bible says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house today. Thank you, God, for your many blessings, Lord. Thank you, God, Lord, for the Sunday school hour and, Lord, how you met with us then. Thank you, God, Lord, for the congregational singing and, Lord, the special from Miss Angela, Lord, and her family this morning, Miss Emily, uh, singing today, God, for us. And, God, what a blessing it is, Lord, to see, God, how that you've poured out your goodness on us. Lord, we are so thankful. God, we are so unworthy of your many blessings. Lord, help us, God, to never forget, Lord, just how good you've been to us. I pray this morning, help us to be as those in verse number 9, that we would have ears to hear the Word of God today. Help us to learn from your Word. Help us to receive it. Help us to apply it, Lord, and help us to go from this place better for it. God, we need you. We need your Spirit, Lord, to speak to us. Lord, we need you, Lord, to, to discern the truth for us today through the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. We know that we can trust you to do that. We ask you, Lord, please help us today. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Through this passage we have discussed already, we talked about last week the sower and how that in the Bible there are different occasions where some are referred to as sowers that God the Father is referred to as a sower. God the Son is the sower. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Uh, and how that we are sowers. Amen. When we go forth taking precious seed, as we read. And that when we take the Word of God, which is the seed, and we take it forward, we become sowers. And that that seed in this parable is, of course, the Word of God. As the Lord very, uh, very clearly outlined for us uh, in the explanation of this parable in Mark, uh, how that the seed, or in Luke rather, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, that the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. So we know that this parable of the sower and the seed is speaking of one who is taking forth the Word of God and trying to sow it uh, in different places. We talked about that soil and how that in each of the four circumstances that are given to us here, that of the wayside, that of the stony ground, that of the thorny ground, and that of the good Soil, each one, the differentiator is the soil or the environment in which the seed is sown. Amen. We have 
We've seen and understood that. And we understand how that the Lord explained to His disciples there through the next part of the chapter that He was speaking to them in parables to try and kind of get this understanding on their level. Amen. As a preacher, we'll use a preaching illustration to help us get a, a, a firm understanding of a biblical truth. So was the Lord using parables to speak to these people concerning things that they understood. They understood sowing and reaping and planting and growing. And that practical truth that the Lord is trying to get to them. Uh, and, he, and He even said there, He said, those, uh, they, they didn't understand spiritual things. He said, whosoever hath to him shall be given, in verse 12, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. And He is explaining that only those who have, or in other words, those who have the Spirit of God, can understand spiritual things. So Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 how that the natural man receiveth not the Spirit of God, uh, and, he, and they're foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. And so we understand that as Christians, if we have been saved, we are given the ability to understand spiritual things through the power of the Holy Spirit. That a lost man can read the Bible uh, 15 chapters a day every day from, from the time he can read to the day he dies. But if he never comes to know the Lord in salvation, it won't do him any good. Amen. It'll be nothing more than just a book when we know it is a living book. Amen. To those who are saved, it is, it is truth. It is power. Uh, it's the power of God. Unto salvation is the gospel. And, and we look here in this passage, we know the Word and the seed are are the one and the same. And we looked last Sunday morning at the wayside and how that some seeds fell there and that some of them were trampled underfoot by those who, who maybe didn't treat the seed with care as they should have. And, uh, some was snatched up by the devil. It talks about the, the fowls came and then the Lord explains that that is Satan, the evil, the wicked one, the devil. Amen. We know who that is. Our enemy. Y'all do know the devil's your enemy, right? Amen. Just making sure. I know that in modern... Uh, in our modern day, there's a lot of, of attempts, especially through media and entertainment, to paint the devil as a, uh, you know, as someone you could sympathize with. But can I tell you, he's your enemy. He wants nothing more than to destroy you. Amen. He's not a fictional character. He has come to to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is he is your enemy. Amen. And he is also the enemy of every lost person who doesn't even realize he's their enemy as he snatches the seed of the Word of God from their heart before it has any time to grow. Amen. We talked about that wayside. Then last Sunday night we spoke about the stony ground and how that ground was a place where it was a shallow earth and there was a layer of rock beneath it so that the roots of that seed could not take root and grow up. And instead you would get a, uh, you'd get a counterfeit life. Amen. You'd get something that looked like life, but then as soon as the heat of the sun came, it was scorched and it died, and it never brought forth fruit. And instead of being a true conversion of the Word in the heart of a lost person, it was a counterfeit conversion. Amen. Well, we want to look at the third of these tonight, or this morning rather. It's, it's still daytime, I think. I don't know. It does get dark pretty early, you know. But I don't think it's quite there yet. Uh, in, in, in this passage here, as we begin to look at the thorns in chapter 13, uh, as we just read there in verse number 7, we see this, this part as the Lord focuses in on the thorny ground. And some of y'all may remember a couple of weeks back we spoke about those unnecessary thorns. Amen. 
there uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, and we talked about thorns and how they are present throughout the Bible. And this is another place where these thorns are given to us as a danger uh, for humankind. Amen. And the Lord gives us that in verse 7. He said this of Matthew 13, Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Mark chapter 4, verse number 7, uh, says it very similarly. It says, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Amen. You may recall that I told you the one thing that is different about the fourth one that the Lord gives, the fourth example in the first three, is that the fourth is the only one that bears fruit. Amen. And we know that we are known by the fruit we bear. Amen. Luke chapter 8 and verse 7. Luke chapter 8 verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. I think it's interesting, and we'll look at that, that the Word of God uses the word choked. Amen. That's an aggressive word. Amen. No one chokes uh, calmly. When I was a young boy, I think three or, three or four years old, maybe, I don't know, maybe I was a little bit older than that, I can't really remember it. We were in church, <clears throat> and uh, my uncle would lead the singing, and from, from being very young, I loved to sing, and uh, I would get up with him when we were at their church sometimes and help lead the singing. I'd just stand there with him and hold a songbook and look like I was singing, I guess, I don't know. Uh, and I had a Jolly Rancher in my mouth. That's a bad mix. Parents, don't let your kids sing with Jolly Ranchers. And I got choked, and it got lodged in my throat. They had to call, they had to stop the service, literally. My cousin Shannon um, ran up, who was in the church, and she began to do the Heimlich on me in the middle of church. And it was, from what I understand, it was a very, very difficult and scary thing because it was seeming like it's not coming out, and I wasn't breathing. My dad's told the story many times as a, as a, in a preaching illustration. He, he grabbed me when it came out and took me outside, and he, he, they were afraid I was going to die. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a scary thing. Choking is, is serious. When something is choked, what the, 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 in, the intention of choking is to take the life out of something. Okay? To cut off the life. That's the point of choking. It's to keep life from happening, from going forward. And that is the purpose of the thorns in this ground. Those thorns want to choke out everything else until there's nothing left but thorns. Amen? And that is the example the Lord's given. And I guarantee you, as the Lord is giving this example, they're going, oh man, I hate thorns. If you're a farmer, and you're, if, you, if any of y'all ever grown a garden at home or, or grown up or whatever, you know what the worst thing is, is when weeds, thorns, and thistles take over. We don't do a good enough job of weeding it out and getting things. And next thing you know, when you should have had a good crop, instead... You just got a bunch of junk that you can't use that bears no fruit because the thorns will choke out the life. Amen. That's the example the Lord is giving in this passage. The seed of the Word falls into soil that may very well be good soil. Amen. The truth is, it doesn't tell us that the soil lacks nutrients. The thorns don't have any trouble growing there. It doesn't tell us that it's shallow and the stone can't get there. For this soil, it is less about the actual... Uh, the actual capabilities or quality of the soil, and more about what else is there. And what else is there is going to prevent this seed from having true life. Let's look at it. When this plant, which springs up, it says it fell among the thorns, the thorns sprung up and choked. So, 
for what all we can tell, this, this starts to get some growth. Amen? It starts to look like it's going to be okay. Like everything is going to be fine. But before there is ever really any life in this thing, there is no fruit. Did we read that in, the, in, in, in our passage here in Mark 4, 7? It yielded no fruit. Amen. It didn't yield some fruit and then get taken out. It yielded no fruit. And the fruit is the life. Y'all understand? <clears throat> in the passage, that's the differentiator. That is the, the key thing that separates these three from the seed that is sown in the good soil is the fruit. And even this one, which looks good for a minute, it bears no fruit. And we understand that in this place, in, in the area, in the Palestinian area, thorns were very common. I mean, when they begin to go about the process of crucifying the Lord, it doesn't take them long at all to gather enough thorns to make a crown out of it. So obviously, it is a common thing in that area, something they're all very familiar with. And we also can see the direct relation between this and the curse of the earth. Amen. The curse of the earth from Genesis 3, that God said that the thorns would grow up out of the earth and cause them problems. And that's exactly what's happening in a physical sense in the parable that he's describing here in this passage. But let's look at the purpose of this parable. In Matthew 13, verse number 22, the Lord begins to expound on the parable as He has before. And in verse 22, He said this, He also that receives seed among the thorns is He that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and He becometh unfruitful. Luke cha- or, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4 and verse number 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Amen. You see that? They hear the word. And so do those, that, and it's the same in Matthew chapter 13. They hear the word, and then the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Is the word unfruitful? The Word is not unfruitful, but it was unfruitful in them. Because before the Word had a chance to bring forth life, it was choked out. Amen. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. Let's look at that real quick. It says this, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, so they're, again, they're hearing the Word, they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. There is no fruit that is brought forth from this seed. Amen. We see the plant. Does this plant start to grow? Seems that way, doesn't it? Seems like it's in a good soil, in a place where if things were just right, it could really grow. And it even starts to look like maybe it has. You know, after this parable, the Lord goes and gives the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in that example, you could not tell the difference until it came time to reap. Amen? Of the wheats and the tares. That they looked like everybody else. And it's similarly in this, this looks like it's going to be good, like everything is going well and everything seems to be going in the right direction. There is some type in a spiritual sense of a religion that is present, but something is missing. The thing that's missing is the fruit. And there never becomes an opportunity for the fruit. The part that is missing, however, will say this, is not apparent until later in the life of this seed. Can we agree? 
At first, it looks good. It's got a stalk. Maybe it's got a leaf. And everything looks like it's going to be fine and it's going to be just great. But then, later in life, there's going to come a moment when you're going to find that there is no fruit and there never was. Amen. That's the plant. Well, let's look at the prevention. What happens? I told you, it's not, this time it's not the soil. It's not that, that everything wasn't there that was necessary for the seed to take life. In the wayside, the soil was not fit for the seed. Amen? It was hard, it was not prepared, and it was the seed being put in a place where it was not ready to grow. Amen. In the stony soil, again, it was not the right place for the seed. It was too shallow. It, wasn't, it had that rock in there. and it wasn't, The soil itself wasn't good. But in this case, there is life coming out from that soil. There, there are things growing in the physical present, presentation of the parable. The thorns are growing, and the seed can even get the... It's got all the soil it needs for the roots at the time. The issue isn't the soil. We know that if things went right, it could grow there. The issue is what else is there? The issue is that there are other things present in the soil that are going to choke out the chance of this seed having life. In other words, there are things present in the life of the individual that is going to choke out the chance for the Word to take life. Can you all see that? This is what the Lord has shown us, that these things got choked out by the thorns. And in this case, the thorns are things that maybe are dangerous without people realizing that they're dangerous. Amen? And can I say that's the most dangerous thing? Amen. When you can see the sharp teeth, it's easy to know, stay away from the shark, right? But when you can't see that that's a poisonous thing or it's a dangerous thing, that makes it much more dangerous. Amen. And in this particular instance, these people that he's talking about, they are looking at the things in their life and saying, well, this is good. What they don't realize is it's a thorn. And it is there for the sole purpose of choking out the things that are supposed to be there. Amen. Here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says over and over again. He says as he explains it, and, and I like this because the Lord Jesus is very specific here. So I don't have to be. Amen. This is a message that Jesus preached. This is his message. and He's speaking to those people, and he gives them the parable, which could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Well, what do you think the thorns are? Well, I think it's this. Well, I think it's that. But the Lord doesn't leave it open for just wide interpretation. He tells exactly what it is. He says the thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and pleasures and lusts. In the three different passages, those are the three things that He says are the thorns that prevent life from growing. In Matthew chapter 13, He says, care of this world, deceitfulness of riches. In Mark 4, He says, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lusts of other things. In Luke 8, He says, cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. In other words, the things of this world will prevent the seed from growing in the hearts of some people if they let it. Amen. John, uh, in 1 John, rather, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John said this, Everything in the world can be categorized into one of these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And as we are looking at these things that the Lord begins to explain, we can see them reflected through that very same lens. That it is, it is mankind desiring and uh, prioritizing and lifting up things that have no value. Amen. Amen. Now, here's a very simple truth. We live in this world, don't we? Amen. As people who live in this world, we have to live in this world. And there's some things in this world we've got to deal with. We've got to, we've got to interact with on a daily basis. And, and by the way, can I tell you, I don't think it's wrong to enjoy things in the world that are not sinful. Amen. It's not wrong to, to like a certain ball team or, or to have a certain hobby or, or to enjoy this or enjoy that, things that are not ungodly. It, it's not wrong to enjoy things that are in no way spiritual. Amen. Amen. It's not spiritual, regardless of what some people might say, to go deer hunting. Okay? But it's not wrong either. It's not spiritual to go fishing, but it's not wrong. It's not spirit. Brother Joseph, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it feels like a spirit, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. Let me say that. Amen. It's not spiritual to play basketball or football or, or to have any hobby, golfing or reading. You know, unless you're reading the Bible, I guess that's pretty spiritual. But these things are not inherently spiritual, but they're also not inherently wrong. Now, you can take any of those things and make them a sin. Amen. You can turn anything into an idol. Amen. Idolatry and worship it and bow down to it when it's Sunday morning time for church and you're bowing down at the altar of the deer stand. Amen. Or the UK basketball game or whatever it may be. And, you know, there's people literally, and it's like, well, so long, as long as God doesn't get in the way of what I've got going on, everything will be fine. That is thorny ground. Thorny ground is having a life that does not have other things in it, but they are growing past any opportunity for God to grow. Amen. In this passage, though, as I've said before, really, we're talking about lost people. We're talking about people who, who the seed is being planted. Amen. I mean, it's an, an introducing of a new thing, and that's the seed of the Word of God, and it is worth noting that unlike the seed, the thorns will grow swiftly with very little aid. A thorn, thorns don't need your help to grow. Weeds don't need, uh, they don't need fertilizer. Amen. They don't need just the right properties of water and, and the pH balance and all that stuff. Don't worry, they'll find a way. Amen. And it's the same way in our lives. The world and the devil, they don't need you to work at liking those things. They will bring them to you. They'll take care of all the work, and you just sit back and let it happen. Just watch. And that is the way that thorns are. Let's look at these things. The cares of this world. The cares of this world are the things that we need. They're the cares of life. They're the things that we are all going to deal with, the things we care about, the things that we have to deal with. And, and the Greek word there for care actually refers to a sort of, of, of a divisiveness that refers to the fact that these are often things that are difficult. Difficult things like work, like sickness, 
Responsibilities. I have seen so many people use their responsibilities as an excuse to stay away from God. Amen. Well, I just work a lot. Yesterday, uh, a couple of us had, a few of us had an opportunity to go out and, and uh, do some outreach, and we went and visited some folk and knocked on some doors and gave out some, some flyers and tracts and things like that. And, and many, I talked to a lot of people yesterday, and, and I heard this thing a lot. Well, I work. Well, everybody works. I work a lot, and this and that. And I have one gentleman, he's like, well, I work all the time. He said, maybe, maybe my wife and my children would like to go. And I'm like, amen. I said, we'd love to have them, but we'd love to have you too. You know? And, and I hope they come. I hope any of them come. Amen. Maybe one will come and get it and get saved, and it'll spread like wildfire. Wouldn't that be a blessing? But that's just the way it is, is we all have cares of life. We all have to work. We all have sickness in our, in our families, or we have, we have financial struggles, or we have this and we have that. We all deal with those things, don't we? It's the cares of life, the cares of this world. It's something we all deal with. The difference is this, that when we focus on those things more, then we focus on God less. Amen. Unfortunately, because we think those things are so needful and pressing, oftentimes they take a priority over God, even in the lives of Christians. And it can become a growing thorn in your life. That it's something that you constantly use as an excuse to spend less and less time with God, less and less time at church, less and less time with reading your Bible. Amen. The cares of this life is a thorn that will grow up in your life and it will choke out other things. Amen. I've seen people who, who lose their, their families because they, they focus too much on work or, or they, they, they lose their marriage because they focus too much on this or too much on that. And, and those things happen. And when we allow the cares of this life to become either a God or a mountain, that we cannot take our eyes off of, it is a thorn. It's a danger. We see the deceitfulness of riches. We know what that is, don't we? We know what riches are, because most of us don't have them. Amen. I don't. Amen. Maybe y'all all do. Maybe I don't know. But I don't have riches, not the way that the world views it. My bank account's not stacked. Uh, you know, I don't have... I don't have offshore accounts and, and all that good stuff, and I don't have uh, you know a mansion down by the beach or whatever. And I, according to the to the purview of the world, I don't have riches. Now I do. I'm rich in God, but the deceitfulness of riches is this: these are not the things need, that men need; they're the things that men want. Men often convince themselves that they would be happier, more content if they could just have this much more. But you know what happens when you get this much more? You want that much more than that. And then you want that much more than that. And when you have a life that is lacking contentment, then you are being deceived by riches. Amen. If I, could, if I just had enough money uh, that I could live this comfortably, I would finally be happy. No, you wouldn't. You'll never... Here's the, what's, what is the deceitfulness? What's the deceitfulness of riches? They're lying to you that you need riches to have happiness in your life. Amen. It's a lie. It's a well-sold lie. In our country and in this world we live today, it's all about hustle, bustle, go, go, go. Amen. Everybody's go, go, go. Make more money, make more money. And we have to have money to live. But you know what? We don't have to have riches. We don't got to have that fancy car or that great huge house or, or that thing. Now, it's not wrong to want those things. But it is wrong to prioritize those things and to make them a God in your life 
Because what happens is then you wind up like the church of Laodicea. I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. I don't need anything else. As long as I've got this, I'm good. It is money. It's making money. It is refusing to spend money or spending too much money. It is all around the love of money, which we know from the Bible very clearly is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6, uh, uh, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now, we could just pause right there. That's tough. I've got clothes on right now, and I haven't eaten anything yet today, but I'm planning to eat something here very soon. Amen. Miss Jana told me before, keep it short, she's already hungry. That's not exactly what she said. I'm, I, I'm extrapolating a little bit on that. I'm teasing. But I told her I, wasn't, I would just preach a 14-page message if she wanted. She said, no, I'm already hungry. Amen. Is that a more accurate representation, sis? There you go. And I don't blame you. I do have 14 pages, but it's all the message I've already preached. Amen. I've only got like two for today. Y'all are thinking, oh, dear God, what's about to happen? When we focus on riches and our great desire for them, that desire can be as bad or worse than having them. Amen. Let me say that again. When we focus on riches or the desire of having them, that desire can be as bad or worse than having them. Now let me be clear. Having great riches is not wrong in itself. But having great riches can sure lead to some bad temptations. But having a hunger and a lust for riches is dangerous. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's talking about those who have rich riches. They, they fall into temptations that maybe you and I don't understand. Amen. Just look at Hollywood. Look at, at professional sports. Look at, look at the upper echelon of the ones we see in media and those, those names we all know like Kardashian. Amen. Those names that we all hear on a regular basis. Look at their lives. Look at the absolute ungodliness in their lives. And you say, man, I can't imagine. I've never, I would never do it. Well, it's because you've never lived where they live. And when you have the sort of things they have, it opens temptations that maybe you've never really been tempted with. But riches are not the root of all evil. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and perceived themselves and pierced themselves, sorry, through with many sorrows. The deceitfulness of riches is this. If I could just get that, I would finally be happy. I'd have more time. I'd have more happiness. I wouldn't stress. I wouldn't fear. But here's the truth. True contentment should come with food and raiment. Clothes and a meal. I've got everything I've got to have. Amen. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He that trusteth in his riches shall fail or fall but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Let me hurry through this. The deceitfulness of riches, and then he speaks of pleasures, and he speaks of lusts in this world. Pleasures and lusts is even more than just a want. It is a great desire for things often that you should not have. Amen? We live in this world. We've got to work to live in this world. We've got to have money. We've got to have goods. And it's not a sin to live in this world, nor is it a sin to enjoy life. But it is a sin to love and yearn and desire the things of this world more than to desire God. John, 1 John very plainly said, Love not the world, 
neither the things that are in the world. That if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So does that mean I can't, I can't love, I can't love you know, UK basketball, or I, I can't love this movie, or I can't love... No, no, no. What it means is this, that word love is saying that if you love and hold the world in higher regard than God, then you don't love God. How can you love God and hold the world in a higher regard than Him? He is the God of all creation. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. How can that happen? It happens when we allow these thorns of cares, the the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts and pleasures of this world. Let me give you the production. I want to bring it down to a final thought. Let me hurry. What's the production of of this plant? What's it do? It does nothing. And I can see a progression in these three that we've looked at already. I can see many progressions of how that there, it seems, now look, at first glance, when you look at these three seeds we've looked at, one fell by the wayside, the one that fell on the stony ground, and the one that fell on the thorny ground, it would almost seem that it's getting better, wouldn't it? In a way, the first one, for example, you look at the progression of time, the first one, it dies immediately. It's snatched up or stomped. There's no chance for life. The second one, it almost seems like it's going to grow, but then it's quickly killed by that sun. Short-lived, burning out like a flare, like a bottle rocket we talked about. But this third one, it has enough time to grow up before it dies. First glance, it would, it would seem that it's getting better and better, but it's not only a progression of time. I believe it's a progression from bad to worse. Because this, this third one, it looks like it's trying to practice, but... It's bad to worse. Because what's worse? Someone who is given the gospel and you can immediately tell they didn't receive it? Or someone who's given the gospel and they come in here and they spend months or years? And you always wonder, because there's just something off. But they look the part. And they're, they're, they're at least partially in, Right? Here's the problem. This example had no life. You can't lose your salvation. Right? The differentiator between the fourth one and the first three is the fruit. We are known by the fruits we bear. Amen. Corrupt seed can't bring forth good fruit. That's why it never does. Because it doesn't, it don't grow. That planet never grows. It never has life. It never has true life. It has a, it looks like it's a tear. Right? That is worse. Can we agree? That's worse. Because that one is falling for the lie of the devil. Maybe I'm all right. Maybe I'm good. And nobody's trying to give them the gospel because they think, well, they're okay. But the truth is, they are in grave danger. And there is coming a point up ahead that they're going to be gone out of this business. They're going to disappear. They're going to, they're going to be gone. They're going to go. That's what's going to happen. The thorns are eventually going to choke them out. And when they do, they're going to be, people are going to be left wondering, are they saved and backslid or did they ever really get it? What a, what a dangerous place to be when your loved ones just aren't sure. Can I say now let me also reiterate, let me make this statement, because before we get to this last thing, I want to make a statement. Not everyone who is in church and gets out of church or, or seems to be living right and then stops is lost. Okay? 
Backsliding is biblical, and it happens all the time. As a young man growing up until I was in my late teens, I was half convinced that my grandpa, Papa, was lost. I just, I just couldn't. The only thing that made me think maybe he was saved was how miserable he was in his sin. Honest to God, a miserable human being. And that was, that was my only hope. What a hope. As I looked at him and saw how he hated so many, he was just, he hated the way he was. And he was, he was embarrassed and he would hide it. And I saw those things and I was like, Lord, I, I hope that's the Holy Ghost in him convicting him for his sin as a child of God. But that was it. Until I was 17, 18 years old, I'm not sure. I, had, I, I spent my whole time going, God, please don't let Papa die. And he would have car wrecks drunk, more than one time hospitalized. And everywhere I go, every church we visited, we all pray for my Papa. I was terrified he was going to die, and I wouldn't know for sure. Or I wouldn't have real confidence. You know what happens? You have a funeral. Preacher gets up, and, well, they made a profession at this age. I don't want that to be my testimony. Do you want that to be yours? Do you want people to look at your life and wonder, well, was that, was that, was that a true conversion or was that a counterfeit conversion? Their whole life, they're known more for their thorns. That's a dangerous place to be. Because here's what Jesus said. There are so many. They look on and the cares of this world, temptations and pleasures and lust of the flesh and the deceitfulness of riches. Those are the things that get them. They spend enough time in church to settle in, be accepted by the brethren, only to finally turn away from God completely in favor of the things of the world, just like Demas, who'd forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10 and we'll be done. The Lord gives this parable in Mark chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4. And then in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17, said when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, running now, and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That seems like good soil, doesn't it? Doesn't it? He is running to God and fought right before Jesus, getting down on his knees, humbling himself. Good master, what shall I may do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Did not, I'm sorry, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. This man comes to the Lord with an earnest desire to be saved. He's kneeling, he's revering him, he's, he, he's serious, he's sincere. I believe this man is sincere. And the Lord, in verse 18, when he says that about why are you calling me good when there's none good but God, I believe he's revealing that he knows the boy doesn't really believe he's the son of God. But then he says, you know the commandments. He starts naming them. He names six. And out of those six commandments, every one of them is revolving around how we interact with others. Adultery, murder, stealing, lying, defrauding, and honoring your parents. None of those have to do with him and in himself. It's about he is with others. Because he knows, y'all do know that the Lord discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? And the Lord is sent here, and here's this boy on his knees, and he knows he don't really believe, not yet. And he knows that in his mind, the good things he's done is what he's done for others. 
So he tells him, these are the commandments. You know them, don't you? And the boy answers. Look at him. He says in verse 20, he answered and said to him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I almost think he's excited. I've already done that. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. I'm glad he loves us. Sometimes I think he looks on me and, and I think, God, don't hear my thoughts. Don't hear my heart, please. Don't look at what's in here. The Lord looked on him and he loved him. In spite of the fact that he didn't have faith, in spite of the fact that, that he knew maybe this, this was going to be hard for him to take, he loved him and he gave him what he needed. And he said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, Give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. This right here is a young man who looks like a convert. He's not adulterous. He's never murdered. He's never stolen. He doesn't defraud. He doesn't lie. And he honors his father and mother. He's a good, upstanding citizen. He does good things. Very moral. Rich. Wealthy. Maybe a beacon of society. Jesus tells him, you want to go to heaven? Sell your riches. Give it to the poor. And if you do, I want you to know, if you do that, you will have great riches in heaven. For my sake, take up your cross and follow me. Come with me. And what did the young man do? He went away grieved. You know why? Because the chance of the word. Did Jesus just give him some word? The word just gave him the word. And immediately those thorns choke it out. Now I believe there's a battle in this boy's heart. He come to him running. Y'all seen that? Falling down on his knees, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? What, what do I need to do to, to have what you're talking about and to, to be with you, Lord? What do I need to do? Just tell me. He's come wanting it. And when that seed goes on the soil, there is a moment, I believe, where he hears it and he thinks, can I do that? And he goes away grieving. Because when that seed tries to grow in his heart, those thorns of riches, the deceit of it, of its value, the pleasures he has in life because of his riches, amen, the cares of his life, of what will I do for that, and what about my home, and what about this, and what about that, and, and the deceitfulness of all the good things I'm still going to have one day, squeeze out, choke, and strangle the Word of God. What a sad story. That's why Jesus says, in all three of these, in, in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he makes a statement. He says it in Mark chapter 8. When he called the people unto him with his disciples in Mark 8, 34, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the same message he told, tells that young man 
in Mark chapter 10. It's the same message, he says, to everyone. Over, this is the word. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel is the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Can I tell you this morning, I, I don't know if you're saved. I, I, you know, I look around, I know most of you. I believe you're saved. I believe you are. Say you are. Whether you're saved or lost, can I tell you right now, you better be careful about the thorns growing in your life. This word that gets choked out, this particular example the Lord is giving, I believe it's talking about a conversion experience, talking about salvation. And so many times, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, didn't we? You ask somebody to come to church with you. You ask somebody to, to do this. And, oh, I can't. i got to work. Or, oh, I don't want to go to church. If I go to church, they'll tell me i got to stop drinking. Or they'll tell me i got to stop cussing or whatever. If I go to church, I'll have to give so much up. That's deceitful. It's a lie. You will gain so much more than you will lose. When Jesus told that rich man he would gain treasures in heaven, what he didn't know is he was talking about endless riches. But all he could see is these things in his own life right now, and he thought, these are worth more to me than what you're discussing. I mean, he's talking about everlasting, eternal life. What's better than living forever? What I got right now, apparently. I'd rather have what I have and do what I'm doing and have nobody reprove my deeds than to believe and trust. What a shame. That's why that young man went away grieved. Because he knew he was missing out on something. But at the end of the day, the thorns of those cares and those riches and those lusts were stronger in his heart than the desire for the things of God. Let me read you this quote from Oliver B. Green, and we'll be done. He said this about this rich young ruler. He said his seemingly enthusiastic desire to be a follower of Jesus soon faded and he went away grieved. Not because he could not have done what Jesus requested him to do, but because he loved the things of this life more than he loved the things of God. I don't want that to be my testimony. I'm saved. Amen. I know because I was there. And because he lives in me. You say this morning, I could ask for hands. I won't, but I could ask for hands. Are you saved this morning? Would you testify that you've been saved? So many would raise their hand and amen. I, I hope and I trust that you are. But I also know that there are those who oftentimes grow up and they look, they got the stalk, they got the leaf, maybe even something that looks like it's an ear that could grow fruit but then they're gone. And no fruit was ever grown. No truth in that conversion. Why? Because the thorns choked it out. Because at the end of the day, when they realized that serving God and being a Christian will cost you something. That's why Jesus said, deny himself, take up his cross. Luke said, daily, follow it will cost you something, but you will gain so much more than you give. But they look at that and they go, I can't do that. If you don't know the Lord this morning and you're lost, can I tell you, there is nothing in this world worth the price of your soul. Nothing. 
Young people, popularity is a poor exchange for dying lost. Being cool, having things, this world shall pass away and everything in it and you'll not take one bit of it with you. That's what, Timothy, that's what Paul said to Timothy. You won't take any of it, but one day you're going to stand before God. Christian, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Amen. Don't let the thorns of this world choke out the growth and the fruit that God wants to produce out of you. There is so much that God could do with you. Did you know that? You say, me? Yeah, you. We were talking about this morning, Brother Tim was talking to me about his Sunday school class, about Jacob. Y'all know Jacob in the Bible? What a dirtbag. Lied to his father, stole everything his brother had, and then ran off. Stole everything from his father-in-law and then ran off. Raised a bunch of degraded sons who were, who were mostly no good because he mistreated them, mistreated one of his wives, and God called him the prince of God. God uses broken people. God can't do anything good. Yeah, if, you, if you'd let God choke some thorns out in your life, there's no telling what he could do with you. Amen. Christian, well, I'll never be more than just this. Oh, yes, you can. Don't put a limit on God. God who took a murderer in Paul, Saul, that, that, that self-righteous Pharisee, and made him a warrior for God. That's God. Took tax collectors, criminals, people everybody hated, and made them the preachers that would start the gospel. What a God He is. Oh, He could do anything with you if you would just... Let him. But every time we see that growth and maybe a little fruit comes out and those things the world, you better be careful before you get too serious about God. Before you know it, maybe it might cost you something. Any cost is worth paying to have a life for God. Nothing is worth the loss of your own soul. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.